Lord Jesus, thank you that salvation belongs to you. That you are our King. That you are the one who has redeemed us. By your blood. And we worship you. We worship you this morning. We worship you together. We worship you because you are worthy. And we ask of you now, wherever we are, right now, that you would increase within us that sense and knowledge and certainty and faith that you are the God who is. God who was, the God who is to come. You're, you're God of the present moment right here, right now for each one of us. And you're the God of our backstory. And you're the God of our future story. And so we trust you. We ask of you as we come to your word now that you would, you would just cause those things to come together. That this critical moment in your word, in our lives, at this point, with our challenges, we'd sense the God who is. God who knows our story and who knows tomorrow but who is with us right here, right now, in power and in love. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. And uh, thank you to Lindsay, to Chris, and to Lynn, and to Lizzie and Isla, to Mar for uh, leading us on Mother's Day, to Andrea for worship. And uh, yeah, from our side, lots of love and appreciation to all our moms, to all our ladies who nurture, who love, who give away so much of themselves and wisdom, who train for life. And, and what a joy to have a day to uh, honor you. Um, I'm not sure why they didn't allow you an extra little bit of walking time, you know, this morning. But nevertheless, it's good that... Uh, it's good to just celebrate you. Thank you to our moms. Thank you to all those who give of themselves. Ladies, we honor you um, and it's good to spend the day with you. Some of our life groups will be meeting afterwards. Obviously, um, many of our families have got things planned. So you can watch the WhatsApp group and click on a Zoom meeting. If your life group is meeting, you'd probably hear it in there, or else there'll be a, a large one. But we're gonna keep those a little bit shorter today, because today is a family day. We're a family, of course, but uh, there's family in many different ways. And then next week, something for you to look forward to. At last, Bevan's preaching again. He's got something to share. And, uh, and then we're going to come back to our series, which we're looking at a theology and practice of discipleship. We're exploring a subject called eschatology under the heading of the honesty of not yet. We're still waiting for more. We know there's more and therefore the faith for more. The honesty of not yet and the faith for more. However, our reading notes for the next couple of weeks, um, what I want to do is just equip us to keep using the tools and the things we've been learning so it's going to be a self-study you'll still find it online but it's going to be a self-study of the apostle peter's first letter and you'll get to use the tools that we've been learning and he's talking about hope that comes through faith and holiness and purity and the chosen people of god uh, who before jesus were not a people 
and uh, how do we relate to emperor, the emperor and everyone else who bears the image of God, suffering as a way to glory, etc. Now last week as we came into eschatology, we saw the, the Our Father prayer, which is also the kingdom prayer. Your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the message of Jesus, repent, the kingdom's here, it's at hand, close enough to touch, it's accessible. Jesus says, don't be afraid, little children. Your heavenly Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And the kingdom is, as we've seen, God's will being done on earth through human beings, willing human beings. And the kingdom is delegated to us. And that's why we need to repent. That's why we need to change. And God is still looking for people with bodies to do his will. Listen, when, when I've run out of a body, I've run out of my opportunity to do God's will on earth as it's being done in heaven. Um, and, uh, and, and so we're going to be coming to look at this um, as, as we explore the will of God. We saw last week also there's this prophetic expectation of two ages and the, the age to come is this better kingdom. But at the same time, these kingdoms overlap, they coexist. We know this happens during a time of conflict and war. Two kim kingdoms disputing the same territory. And what we have is breaking into this age is the age to come. In Jesus, the kingdom has been inaugurated. We're still waiting for it to be consummated. And in between, we live with, and some of the things uh, that we saw was the now and not yet. Yes, the kingdom is here. It's at hand. We can access it. But we're still waiting for its fullness, its perfection, its completion. We also saw that this is for better and worse. Um, a little bit like marriage, but it's not better or worse. It's better and worse. That there's an intensifying, it's both. It's not that the world's just going to get nice and happy and better and better. Or that the world's going to become this completely horrific, shocking place that we should all just hate and despise and want to escape. No, no, no. We've been planted here to bring God's will. We're here. But we need to understand and not be intimidated when, when enemy activity is growing like weeds amongst the wheat. We've also seen that this kingdom is absolutely certain, and yet inner mystery is also contingent. It depends on our response. And we're going to look over the coming weeks that the, the kingdom includes earth and heaven, is therefore both natural and supernatural. It belongs to both creature and creator. And then we'll look at something of the economic vision of the kingdom, the kind of economy that the Lamb's community creates and the kind of economy that the Lamb's community subverts and overthrows. And we can't finish uh, studying eschatology without uh, looking at the question of suffering without fear. Um, and, uh, and if we're going to do eschatology, well, then we're going to go to the book of Revelation at some point, surely. The last book of the Bible. And today I want to look at a picture from Revelation chapter 5. In which we held together the picture of this conquering lion. And the Lamb of God. Revelation chapter 5. And then I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne. A scroll with writing on both sides. And sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scrolls. 
But no one in heaven and on earth or even under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And by your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign. Some manuscripts even say they reign on the earth. When I looked and heard the voice of many angels, sorry, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. <laughs> the number stops mattering. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. God, help us see. Help us see all that you want us to see in your word. Help us do all that you want us to do from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. So I want to pick up a couple of themes from this last book of the Bible, Revelation. The first thing we need to notice about Revelation is that it's creation all over again. Genesis. And so, for example, in verse 1 of our reading, uh, we see it's all about the sevens. And no, gentlemen, this is Mother's Day. It's not about rugby. Um, it's sevens. And you'll see the whole book of Revelation is written around at the interlink and interplay of sevens. What is this kind of seven? Well, um, in this instance, it is helpful to go back to the first encounter with the word seven, linking all the way back to God's creation. You see, on the seventh day, the Lord, had, uh, re the Lord rested, made that day holy because he had finished his work on the six days. 
And in a sense, as we come to this book of recreation, we discover that God will take us into his promised rest after he's done his work of recreation. That first Sabbath was made holy and God blessed it. He put shalom on it. He established it as a time of rest that precedes and follows all true creation work. And God's recreation will renew all aspects of this creation including our society, our relationships, the ecology of the earth itself, the economy, how, how humankind can flourish, how creation can flourish, and humankind restored to our original intended design to walk with God in the cool of the day, to hear His voice, to represent Him as we bear His image. And our inheritance becomes that when this book has done its work, and when this prophecy has been uh, fulfilled, that the, there is a place of rest and right relationships of Shabbat, of Sabbath rest, being able to rightly worship, rightly worship, take delight in all the things. There's a holistic integration in which all the glory, all the wealth, all the resources, all the everything is brought, integrated into this wonderful act of worship. And so we find this Sabbath rest, this deeply Jewish context. It reminds me of a story of a young scholar from New York who was invited to become a rabbi in a community, um, an old community in Chicago. So on his very first Shabbat, uh, as he was busy in the service, a hot debate erupted as to whether or not one should stand during the reading of the Ten Commandments. And so the next day, the rabbi went to a 98-year-old Mr. Katz in the nursing home and said, Mr. Katz, I am asking you because you are the oldest member of our community. And, and our what is our synagogue's custom during the reading of the Ten Commandments? What is our custom? Why do you ask, said Mr. Cuts. Well, yesterday we read the Ten Commandments. Some people stood, some people sat. And then the ones who stood started yelling at the ones who were sitting, telling them to stand up. And the ones who were sitting started yelling at the ones who were standing, telling them to sit down. That said the old man, is our custom. <laughs> no, no, no. A, a Sabbath divi uh, divided and fractured. A Sabbath that is not integrated, harmonious and whole. It's a Sabbath without rest. You do understand this book is a place of recreation that will climax in the greatest Sabbath of all. What this means is that every king and kingdom, every human endeavor at dominion will either be recreated and come into submission to the Lamb, or it will be destroyed. For there will be no division, there will be no brokenness, there will be no evil dominion that will endure. And so this vision will maintain a paradox. You see, although God's kingdom has a very narrow gate, it has only one entry point. It opens up every aspect of creation to renewal and recreation. 
The kingdom is not the kingdom if it is downsized to an exclusively personal experience. It becomes a parody and a sham and a half-truth. The good news becomes fake news if the full extent of the kingdom is not reshaping lives, community, culture, and even the world because of those who follow the Lamb. Now, as I said last week, this vision of renewal, this idea that History is not meaningless and random, that it has deep purpose. And that is because of the value and meaning and, and deep purpose that God has placed in the, in the destiny of every human being. People have started to want the kingdom without the king. They want the fruit without the root. But this book, Revelation, and the next few verses in particular, these verses show us that this just can't be done. Why? Because this king establishes his kingdom in a unique way. He lays down his life. His subjects must do the same. So the second thing we see is the means to power. And yet we, we bring again another paradox together. We have the lion and the lamb. So, so John he, no one can open the scroll and, and he's grieving and his heart is torn and he hears about a lion. You know, this roaring champion, a complete winner. And he comes from King David's royal line. Now, now this is an intensely Jewish nationalistic figure that's rooted deeply in the Old Testament. And so he hears a lion. He hears a king. And then he sees a sacrificed lamb. He hears one thing. He sees something different. Now the text is clearly pointing to the exact same person. Even though what he hears prophetically couldn't be more different to what he sees, they describe the same reality. Jesus is the king who has conquered, but unlike David... Jesus is the king who shed his own blood. You see, David, who had elements of priest and prophet and king, he was described as a man after God's own heart and is the very best candidate of all Old Testament typology or analogy for that of Messiah. But even he was not allowed to build the Old Testament temple because we read in 1 Chronicles 22 verse 8, he had shed too much blood. David's garments were stained in blood he had killed his enemies this lamb is also this king is also covered in blood when we get to the end of the book he enters the battle as a as a conquering king but he's already dipped his robes in blood whose blood is it it is his own the lamb in contrast to king david wins all his battles by dying for his enemies this is how his people will win battles for him too. And this message is driven home again and again and again. And the militaristic view of kingdoms and the militaristic view of, of, of even the people of God has to bow the knee to a sacrificed lamb. Remember we've seen Jesus' work of atonement is unique. We can't die to save people from their sins. And we don't need to. Jesus has done it. But we must recognize what makes the Lamb so powerful in the recreation of the world. 
he lays down his life in love. And his followers must embrace the means to power of the Lamb. We lay down our lives to see a world reborn. And that starts, yes, in that contingent place, in that place where we invite people to, to surrender and submit themselves to the one who has shown himself to love them to the point of death. And we are called to call others and to ourselves, bring ourselves to the place where we lay down our lives for the one who lay down his. And so God is looking for people with bodies on the earth who will lay down everything for the king. They will lay themselves down in worship like John did, fell at his feet as though dead. They will lay themselves down in service. They will lay themselves out there. They will put themselves out there in witness. See, the cross is not a good luck charm. It is the power that defeats the enemy. One of the greatest ambiguities and probably tragedies in, in, in history is the half conversion, the complicated conversion of Emperor Constantine, who was an emperor uh, in the early 300s AD. And on the night before a major battle, he received a vision of the cross and was told in his vision, by this sign conquer. What was the sign of? Well, he just took the sign as a symbol and he painted the cross on his weapons and he painted the cross on his banners and he painted the cross on, on his soldiers' shields and they still went and killed their enemies and everyone celebrated the victory of Christ. But his means to power, his means to victory was utterly inconsistent with the cross itself. See, the path to kingdom glory is the path of a slaughtered lamb. The way the lion roars is in resurrection power, but you don't get a resurrection without a willing crucifixion. And so this book will hold together glory through suffering. There's many places in the New Testament and the Old Testament in which there is this deep identification with a world in pain by the people of God. We're going to talk now a little bit more about the people of God because what we find in this passage is also the kingdom office bearers. In Genesis 1, we see that they were God's image bearers, but now they, they serve the kingdom by reigning for the king. Remember, God is still looking for people with bodies to do his will on earth. And so the lamb reigns through his people who reign on the earth. So as we go through the book, for example, John hears in chapter 7. Again, he hears, remember, he heard a lion, but saw a lamb. In chapter 7, there's another intensely Jewish and nationalistic and militaristic Old Testament typology. And we, we read about the 144,000. 
And it's, it's like a military census from the book of Numbers, except this military census is absolutely perfect. It's 12 times 12, 12 tribes, and each tribe is complete and it's plentiful. It's 12 times 1,000 times the 12 in the beginning. So what a years would have been to anyone familiar with Scripture like this, yes, this is a perfect army. This is, this is a people being set apart and sealed for the purposes of God. What he hears is 144,000. What he sees is an uncountable multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And listen, this is just like the lion is the lamb. The 144,000 is a figurative representation. What he hears and what he sees is the same thing. The people of God, the chosen people, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the people who belong to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. They are the people whom Jesus has saved. There is one reality of one people before those who belong to the Lamb. And so this king, this lamb, gathers his people from everywhere. And he overthrows all isms, elitism, populism, racism, sexism, nationalism, denominationalism. You see, when any human, any community, any dominion is built on any of these isms, they become enemies of the Lamb. And by His blood, by His self-giving love, He will subvert them, He will undermine them, and He will overthrow them through His glorious suffering people who refuse to be afraid. That's how they reign. That's how they reign. They refuse to be afraid, and they continue to do His will. And so he has another paradox in this book, that the more God's people bear witness, the more God's people do their work, the more the inhabitants of the earth become liable for judgment. Now that's, that might seem a little bit weird to us, but it was true of the ministry of Jesus. He warned places that had seen incredible signs and wonders and heard him teach it and, and encountered him in person that they faced a dreadful judgment. It would be worse for them than for Sodom and Gomorrah and other cities that were judged. Judgment's a huge part of this book because destroyers must be destroyed. If you're doing recreation, everything that undermines creation must be removed. Justice matters. The books will be opened. Sin will be uprooted, but the judgment is left to God. God's people bless and minister and worship and if a world will not listen to their witness in word and deed through the law and its fulfillment Moses and Elijah they become liable to be judged by those very witnesses that were calling them to repent and so we ignore the signs of the kingdom at our own peril. But here's the thing, that the followers of Jesus become the stewards of his victory 
and the stewards of his kingdom, the office bearers of his kingdom, because of his victory and coronation. And one of the things that we dispense and minister is out of this image of victory and coronation, God's people receive and distribute gifts. You see, that is the spoils of war. That is how the victory of God gets shared. And so in Matthew chapter 12, for example, Jesus is talking about his battle with Satan. And he uses three metaphors of corporate or collective power. He talks about a kingdom. He talks about a city. And he talks about a household. Different ways in which society is formed. And, and a household can mean just a household like, like one of ours. But it, it also can mean like the household of a, a line, the house of Windsor or, or the house of King David. And so there's this sense in which these social structures are giving expression. And Jesus implies that the enemy has created a kingdom. He's created a city. We're going to come to that city again in this book. The enemy has a way of ordering society. He has a lineage and a household that must be opposed. We're going to burgle his house. We're going to overthrow his kingdom because these kingdoms are in conflict. And there is a city that will not last because there is a city that is coming from God. And so these metaphors, even in the language of Jesus in Matthew 12, are woven into the text of Revelations. And in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 28, Jesus says this, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is now all over you. When one of the gifts, just as you know, one of the true gifts is deliverance. So is the, every gift of the Spirit. And so it's not just that when someone is delivered, the kingdom has come. Of course that's true. <laughs> we've, we've set someone free from the enemy's dominion. But every single gift of the Spirit is an expression of the kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of Jesus coming. So what we need to understand is this. The gifts of the Spirit are how Jesus arms us for war. <laughs> the gifts of the Spirit are how Jesus weaponizes his people with love and with grace. And so again, Ephesians chapter 4 describes the victory procession of Jesus, his ascension to heaven. And as he ascends, as this victory parade is being played out, at the same moment he cascades he, he spills out the gifts and they shower down onto humankind. The charismata, the graces of the Spirit. These are the spoils of his victorious war. And they pour out to his people. And these can be healing. These can be evangelism. These can be hospitality. These can be leadership. These can be creativity. These can be songs of worship and praise. They weaponize us with grace. They equip us to fight the way the lamb fights. So why would we want to be a people who don't pick up the weapons that have divine power for tearing down strongholds? Getting rid of everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. Jesus wants to weaponize love. 
So in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus, the same lion and lamb who's showing us how it's done in a theology and practice of discipleship. There we are, deep in the middle of his life in Matthew chapter 10. He tells us to go and tell the world. The kingdom's here. It's upon you. It's at hand. It's all over you. Reach out. Access it. And then he says this. Heal the sick. Drive out demons. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Preach good news to the poor. And he unpacks the power of the gifts. And I want you to notice this because some people have misunderstood 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. These gifts equip the church and they edify the church and they strengthen the church, but they equip us to serve the world and the purpose of God in recreation. We are already part of the power of the age to come. We already see the new creation every time. We show someone the love of God in Christ Jesus through one of the gifts that, uh, that operates through us. And so notice this, that Jesus doesn't just say in Matthew 10, heal the faithful. He says, heal the sick. Be a kingdom of priests to the world. Drive out demons. Get rid of the dark side that's destroying people. Minister to the world. Let this kingdom change, recreate, give a new birth to everyone made in my image and ultimately to the world itself. Let's pray together. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. You purchased us. You bought us by your blood. And you've won. You've prevailed. And you've shown us the power that will make this world live again. Lord, forgive us if we partnered with any other power. If we believed the lies of any other untruth. And if we have been seduced by any other kingdom or city. We want to come home to your household. We want to let you clean us up. And then what you've done in us, we want you to do through us. May our world know the magnitude, the fullness, the power of your love. So just take a moment. Pray with me. Come, Lord Jesus. The Spirit and the Bride Say, come, Lord Jesus. Come into my day. Come.
come into my week, come into my home, come into this year with all its challenges and set up your recreating kingdom. Come in heaven's power, heaven's power. Come, Lord Jesus, please come. it's the spirit gate is narrow it's his love for you it's his grace towards you the gate is narrow just turn from all the other paths come to the narrow gate oh but the kingdom is vast <laughs> the kingdom is so wide some of you literally even in your homes just sensing the grace of God coming on you now just say thank you I received it I receive that, refresh me, recreate me, Jesus, so that your kingdom can recreate the world around me. I receive that, I receive that, I say yes, yes, and yes again. Amen. Love you guys, so proud of you. Amazing notice. And we're able to give away 100,000 Rand together with everything else you've already given. I uh, can't tell you what a joy it is to lead and walk with you guys during this time. Amen. Mm -hmm.